While you're finding your seats, you can go ahead and open your Bible to Acts chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I have an odd request. There's got to be somebody in here who can help me with this. Does anybody have an old cassette player that I could borrow? You do. All right. Small one. That's fine. I just need a small one. I have, I have found this cassette tape of my youth. I don't know how I got this. Probably when we cleaned out my parents' house. And it's the first time I ever spoke in public. And it's like 1970 or something crazy like that. Um, I have no idea what's on it or if it'll, if it'll even play, but I'd kind of like to go back and see what I said. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe not, I don't know. But anyways, thank you. Uh, yes, if, if I could borrow that, that'd be great. I'd love to, to hear it and hope and pray that the tape doesn't disintegrate as soon as it starts spinning. So, uh, One other thing I want to mention uh, that I forgot to mention <clears throat> As we are in the book of Acts, of course, and we're talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, some number of years ago I prepared a sheet, and I know you can't see this, but it's a, just a, a half-page sheet of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the references. You know, not a lot of ex- explanation, just kind of where they are, because we are, we are referencing those as we are going through the book of Acts. And in fact, today we're going to talk a little bit about a couple of these gifts so they are actually out on the uh, Welcome Center, um, and feel free to pick one up and stick in your Bible uh, so that you can um, have those handy for your use. So Acts chapter 6, we are going to read beginning in verse 1 down to verse 15. It's a short chapter, but we'll be venturing into chapter 7 this morning, looking at the life of Stephen. So the word of God reads as follows, beginning in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. And as always, Lord, when we read it, we trust that you are already speaking and moving and working. So would you be our guide? Would you be our teacher? As we open our hearts and our minds to all that you have for us this morning. May you bless everything that we do here this morning as we do it in your name, as we give, as we worship, as we listen. Lord, speak and minister in Jesus' name. 
Amen. When a certain Dallas church decided to split, each faction filed a lawsuit to claim the church property. This is a true story. A judge finally referred the matter to the higher authorities in the particular denomination. A church court assembled to hear both sides of the case and awarded the church property to one of the two factions. The losers withdrew and formed another church in the area. During the hearing, the church courts learned that the conflict had all begun at a church dinner when a certain elder received a smaller slice of ham than a child seated next to him. Sadly, this was reported in the newspapers for everyone to read. Just imagine how the people of Dallas laughed about that situation. This brought great discredit not only to the church of Jesus Christ, but to Jesus himself. True story. Some of us have probably heard similar stories, haven't we, about church splits and about things that develop and fortunately they sort of drilled to the root of the issue what started all of this craziness and I share that story because today where we are in Acts chapter 6 probably a year or two in uh, after the day of Pentecost um, we find this situation sort of developing within the church and as we get into it this morning there's a a lot of wisdom going on here. There's the Holy Spirit working among his church. There's Satan working, as we saw all the way back at the beginning of chapter 5, trying to bring division. It says here in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. You see, previously as we've been reading in the book of Acts, when God uh, was saving people there on the day of Pentecost, it said in Acts chapter 2 that about 3,000 souls were added. And then as we read in Acts chapters 3 and 4, as uh, Peter and John had ministered and the man who had been lame from birth was healed, that on that day another 2,000 or so were added. But now we start here in the beginning of chapter 6, and notice what it says uh, the number of disciples was multiplying. God has wonderful math, doesn't he? Adding, adding, now he's multiplying. And so a great work of the Holy Spirit is going on. The church is growing like wildfire. And the apostles have their hands full trying to figure out what to do and how to manage what God is putting in their lap. And so they are busy full-time dealing with this. So as we read on in, in six, chap, chapter 6, verse 1, uh, as when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So what was happening here as people had stayed behind and the church had formed and now this new ministry had formed of ministering to those people who were less fortunate and just finding ways to help them. And when we talk about the daily distribution here, they're talking about money. They're talking about clothing. They're talking about food, whatever's necessary to minister to the needs of these people. And notice it says, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Well, we need to talk just for a moment about who the Hebrews and the Hellenists were. What does that mean when it says Hellenists? And I'll just read a little excerpt to you here because I thought it did a great job of explaining it. Uh, the Hebrews were those Jews more inclined to embrace Jewish culture and were mostly from Judea. The Hellenists were those Jews who were more inclined to embrace Greek culture and they were mostly from all over the Roman Empire. To oversimplify, Hebrews tended to regard Hellenists as unspiritual compromisers with Greek culture, and Hellenists regarded Hebrews as holier-than-thou traditionalists. There was already a natural suspicion between the two groups, and Satan t tried to take advantage of that standing suspicion. It's important to note that though the titles Hebrews and Hellenists are used, these were Christians, they were followers of Jesus, and they were all from a Jewish background, but they had come from different 
uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and whatnot. So one, the, the Hebrews were, of course, focused on Jerusalem and the temple and all of that. And the Hellenists were more uh, immersed in Greek culture. And they likely read the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And they themselves had their own synagogues where uh, Greek was spoken in the synagogue as opposed to Hebrew or Aramaic in the Jewish synagogues. Uh, We are told historically that at this time, there were probably around 400 synagogues throughout the city of Jerusalem. 400. So that's a lot, right? And so now we have as the Spirit of God is moving, uh, and as people are being ministered to and the church is forming, that these widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. Keep in mind, Although they had markets, they didn't have anything like we have today. There was no preservatives in their food. There was no refrigeration. Daily, things had to be bought. You know, if we think about things like milk and eggs and bread and all of that, all of that was fresh. It was every day. So someone had to be involved in gathering these things and distributing them to those who had need. And then in verse 2, we find, "...the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said..." It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. You see, the apostles were so busy attending to the church as it was growing, ministering to the church, teaching the word of God, guiding them down the correct path. Remember, there was no New Testament at this time. The apostles' doctrine, as we read about in Acts chapter 2, was real. They were the teachers of the church. They were the pastors. They were the ones who were leading the small groups and training people up and baptizing people and doing the work of the ministry. They needed to remain faithful to the main calling, which was that calling of being apostles and and probably most likely pastors to what was happening there in Jerusalem as the church was growing. They were not acting with a superiority mindset. They were not lording it over The people, when they were saying it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, they were simply stating a fact that if we left what they left, what they were doing and they began to serve tables, then who would teach the word of God? Who would minister to the people? You remember that Jesus on the night that he was betrayed in John chapter 13, we find this recorded. So when he had washed their feet... He had taken his garments and he sat down again and he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Recall that Jesus got up and went around the table and washed the feet of his disciples. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's talking about basic service. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Were the apostles serving people? You bet they were. Were they doing kind acts of service? Were they doing basic menial tasks? I'm sure they were out of necessity. Everyone has to. But God had called them to be the apostles, to be the pastors of the church. Jesus went on in that same passage in John 13, and he said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is what they were doing. They were teaching the body how to love one another. They were teaching them how to love as Jesus loved. And so as the apostles are seeking to find a way to deal with this situation, rather than dropping everything and putting together the task force or committee or something like that to solve the problem, what they did in verse 3 is they said, Therefore, brethren... Seek out from among you, from among yourselves, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. 
And so he, they essentially gave the problem back to the people who were experiencing the problem. In this case, he, they were addressing uh, the people who were experiencing the problem, likely the Hellenistic congregation or that, that portion of the congregation. And he says, look, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. So good reputation, that means those people who had a good standing. Not, not a popularity contest, but a people who, were, people who were honorable. And as he gives them their requirements here, good reputation among the people, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You might say, why would you have to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to wait on tables? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Whom we may appoint over this business. The, the word good reputation comes from our word marturo, which means martyr. So a good reputation means that they had a good witness. These were people that had a witness of Jesus Christ. They were saved. They were people of grace. And they were full of the Holy Spirit. They had been filled by the Holy Spirit and were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, and wisdom. And so God was giving them divine wisdom, not just wisdom in terms of the knowledge of God's word, but the wisdom meaning the knowledge of how to apply God's word and how to deal with difficult situations. So you can imagine as the problem that's come to them is simply this, and in this huge congregation that's developing, and now there's this daily thing happening. Somewhere there were tables set up. These widows and the needy people were being ministered to. The Hellenistic Jews felt that their widows were being neglected. They weren't being served properly. And so how are we going to deal with this? You can see how it would be important for there to be people administering over these things who have a good witness, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are filled with wisdom, whom we may appoint over these things. It's important because without these things, without being filled with the Spirit, without the wisdom that comes from above, that's perfect, that's heavenly, as they are dealing with these situations, they could make them worse. The situation can blow up. Divisions can happen. Satan can have his way and divide the body of Christ. And so as they were choosing these people, uh, one person pointed this out, uh, seven men were chosen. It was a simple practical service that they were appointed to, yet they must be well qualified in a spiritual sense. So they must be qualified in a practical sense, but they also must be qualified in a spiritual sense. G. Campbell Morgan said this concerning this passage. He said, a man or a person full of the Spirit is one who is living a normal Christian life. Fullness of the Spirit is not a state of spiritual aristocracy to which a few can attain. Anything less than the fullness of the Spirit for the Christian is disease of the spiritual life, a low ebb of vitality. Fullness of the Spirit is not abnormal, but normal Christian life. And so that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people who are filled with the Spirit. Now, as we think about this this morning, the idea of deacons is here because in the passage, the word distribution, verse 1, the word serve in verse 2, and the word ministry in verse 4, all are the root word deacon or diakonos. And so it's talking here about serving, serving, meeting the needs of others. And although these people are not formally called deacons, many regard them as the proto-deacons, the first deacons of the church, if you will. And so these are the requirements for the first deacons. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, so this is who God wants in charge of simple things like waiting tables and meeting needs of people. Because you see, when you're dealing with people, there's an opportunity for ministry, isn't there? There's an opportunity to serve. There's an opportunity to love. 
There's an opportunity to meet needs. Remember Jesus said, blessed is the person who gives a cup of cold water in my name. And so people who serve, who will do anything to serve God and to serve his people, and even to serve those who do not yet know him, because showing that love and that kindness is a part of the pathway of grace and drawing them toward God. So they said here in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So let's talk for a moment about what Jesus had called them to do. They were called to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer is something we often forget about, isn't it? For most of us, it's what we say is grace, saying grace at the table, But prayer comes in many forms and many fashions. Prayer simply means speaking to God, worshiping God, talking to God. There are different forms of prayer. There's supplication, there's petition, there's there's worship, there's adoration. So when we pray, and these apostles, these disciples said, we need to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they acknowledged that prayer was important. They needed to seek God's will for their lives. They needed to seek God's will for the lives of the people that, to whom they were ministering. They needed to ask God for wisdom in what they were doing. Indeed, it was a huge responsibility that they had for the lives of others, and so it is for the life of anyone who serves in the role of a pastor or an elder who has responsibility to God for the people to whom they minister or serve. So they needed to pray continually. They needed to seek God for his wisdom about the situations that they were presented with. They needed to seek God for his glory. They needed to stay close to God so they could keep their perspective clear. Throughout just the book of Matthew, and these are the examples I'm going to use, Jesus talked so much about prayer. In Acts chapter 5, he says, I I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So they needed to be praying for those who were in opposition, that they would get saved. You see, that's the way God wants us to pray. Sometimes it's our tendency when we have opposition and when we have someone who's against us to pray sort of like David prayed at times, Lord, kick in their teeth and put them to death and Lord, remove them and just afflict them and do all these things. That's the, yeah, yeah, Lord, we like to pray like that. But what about praying for their salvation? What about praying that God would open their eyes to their sin just as he opened my eyes and your eyes? See, prayer is so necessary. Matthew 6, where Jesus taught what we affectionately call the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, you go into your room, and when you have shut your door, you pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see, there are things that you and I need to pray about that nobody else needs to know about. Just you and your Father. That's important. And then, of course, he went on to teach them how to pray and to to pray and to seek the Lord and to declare God's holiness. And as we, we read and we dissect the Lord's Prayer, there's so much in there for us. We don't have time to go into that this morning. In Matthew 9, Jesus told his disciples, Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's something that apostles and pastors and those who serve the church and really all of us should be praying that God would send out workers and laborers into the harvest, just as we saw the video this morning of God sending Jenna. And he, verse 14, excuse me, Matthew 14, and when he had sent the multitudes away, Jesus himself went up on a mountain by himself to pray. We need to pray. We need to be alone with God. Matthew 17 However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You see, we encounter tremendous challenges and obstacles in dealing with people. And so we need to pray, but sometimes we need to pray and fast. The situation that was being referred to there was that the disciples were unable to cast out a demon. 
And the, and the people came and they said, well, why could you do it? But your disciples couldn't. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. You see, prayer isn't enough sometimes. Sometimes we need to pray and fast. There's so many. Um, Matthew 21, Jesus had cleansed the temple. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Going to the house of God to pray. Having times of prayer in private, times of prayer corporately, times where we go to church or places of worship where we seek the Lord. You remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed about what was the heaviest on his heart, which at that time he said, Lord, if it's possible, pass this cup from me. Let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, in prayer, we learn submission to the will of God. And so as these apostles, as these disciples says, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, that word ministry, service, diaconate service, ministering the word, serving the word, letting the word penetrate their hearts and then giving the word to the people so that they could be encouraged, so that they would know how to live. A young man one day came up to Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a wonderful pastor and commentator. And he said to Donald Gray Barnhouse, I'd like to give, I'd give the world to be able to teach the Bible like you do. Looking him straight in the eye, Dr. Barnhouse replied, good, because that's exactly what it will cost you. You see, the cost is high. And these apostles, these pastors had to learn that. And they they knew as they were dealing with this situation that was arising in the church and they saw the potential for division to come, that they had to raise up people who were full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and who had a good reputation, a good witness. And so in verse 5, it says the saying pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Proselyte means a convert. So it means he was likely a Gentile and he converted to Judaism, whom they set before the apostles And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now what they were doing at this point, because the people raised them up, the people acknowledged these are the men who uh, have a good reputation, they have a good witness, they're full full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. You see, these men really were already serving. So as the, the, the crowd, as the congregation said, these are the people we'd like to put forth to the apostles, they were acknowledging what God was already doing in their lives. You see, these men, I believe, didn't start serving the moment that they were brought up front and, pe- and, pe- and hands were laid on them and prayer was offered publicly and they were sort of pushed off the stage, so to speak, and said, okay, now start serving. No, no, see, they were already serving. They were already doing these things. And the people are acknowledging the work that God was already doing in their lives. And so these men are stepping forward. They're available to God. They are available to the Holy Spirit. And that's something that, you know, we have taken. And as you go and you read later in the scriptures, you read in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, where Paul gives the requirements for deacons and for elders. Uh, Some of these same requirements are given. There are more requirements that are added later. But certainly these things are basic. A person who is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. It's so important. And so they set them before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and they essentially commissioned them as they got together. They said, there's a problem. God's raised up people. They're already among us, and we're going to to pray for them as a congregation, and and the, the leadership, the apostles were praying for them, and in praying for them, they were expressing confidence to God before the people and to the people that these 
These men were the right people that God was raising up. And then it says they laid their hands on them. And that practice of laying hands upon people is the idea of saying, we are acknowledging what God is doing, what he's already done. And we are also acknowledging that we are identifying with these people. We are saying we believe God has his hand on their lives. And so in so doing, and doing it publicly and declaring it before people, they are just being recognized and acknowledged for who they are and how God is working in their lives and how God is working through their lives. Now it's interesting as we think about people who are being appointed to serve tables and do this distribution and all of that, That two men in particular, Stephen and Philip, from this list of seven names, and by the way, all of these names are Greek names. They are not Jewish names. So the wisdom of the Spirit was that people were raised up from the group who had the problem to solve their own problem before God. And I believe that's one of the ways God likes to work and and one of the ways that He wants to move among His people. So, Phil, excuse me, Stephen, as we're about to find out here through the back end of chapter 6 into chapter 7, became the first martyr of the church, a deacon, a table waiter. Philip became the first missionary of the church. He also became an evangelist. And these two men had gifts of the Holy Spirit given to them, and they ministered in the name of Jesus. Yet it all began with the people acknowledging that they saw something going on in their lives and then the leadership coming alongside, laying hands on them and praying for them. These gifts may have been stirred up and unearthed as a result of the steps of faith the apostles took in laying hands on them. You see, God likes to call people out and some, most of the time, you know, a lot of us are like, hey man, I don't have time, I'm too busy, I don't want to get involved. Well listen, you see, if we know Christ, and if we are filled with His Spirit, then like these disciples, God at some time in our life will likely call us out to take steps of faith and to serve Him. To go beyond ourselves to do something that's uncomfortable. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Servants. Then the word of God spread, verse 7, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, as they were serving, as God was doing this amazing thing in Jerusalem and the church was growing and problems were arising, and now they took this step of faith and God raised up these seven men full of, the, of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, people of good reputation. They had a good witness. And now they began to serve and to take care of problems as they arose so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It says here, verse 7, then the word of God spread. And I believe we can say conclusively just by reading and observing what's here in this passage, that as they did this thing, it pleased God and it pleased the people. And God worked in and through the lives of these seven men who were raised up. And it enabled the word of God to spread. It enabled the apostles to continue to do what they needed to do to focus on their primary calling, their primary ministry. And these servants were raised up and they were doing their primary ministry, which was serving, just taking care of needs. Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So at the beginning of the chapter, we said the number of disciples was multiplying. Now, as a result of this, we find that the disciples are being multiplied greatly. So God is moving. God is working. And it says a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So now those who were the greatest opposers are now believing. God is doing a tremendous work. He is reaching people in places that many of us never could. All through 
the idea of faithful people who are serving God. So in verse 8, we now sort of focus, we zero in on the life of Stephen. And it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, now previously we were told Stephen was a man of good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Now we're told he's full of power, full of faith. Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. You see, here's what's happening. Common people doing common things led to common people doing uncommon things. Common people doing common things, these disciples being raised up as deacons, led to common people doing uncommon things. This is the first time in the book of Acts that someone other than an apostle is doing wonders and signs among the people. God is spreading the ministry around. And then there arose uh, some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. There's always someone wanting to cause a problem, isn't there? Just someone waiting in the wings. It says they were disputing with Stephen. And they were, verse 10, not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. This is the, the spirit of God working in and through the life of Stephen. You see, sometimes we look at a situation through our human eyes. And we become fearful. And we say, the mountain's too big. The issues are too great for me to handle. I can't handle that. Someone else who's more capable needs to be appointed to handle these things. But I believe God, the Holy Spirit, is sending us a very clear message here, isn't he? If you and I are willing to be filled with the Spirit, he is willing to make us wiser than those who stand in opposition. You see, God will overcome the problems. The problem of ministry is not my problem, it's not your problem, it's God's problem. And so we serve God, and we serve people. God loves people more than you and I will ever love people. However much you may think that you love someone in your life, your wife, your husband, your kids, God loves them more. You can never love another person the way God loves that person. And so they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. The grace of God was upon him. The power of God was upon him. And it says in verse 11, they secretly induced men to say, and so they began to take what we would call carnal means or fleshly means and to come against Stephen. Now, when Peter in chapter 5, dealing with Ananias and Sapphira, had that moment where God spoke to him and revealed what was happening in the life of Ananias and Sapphira, we would say, as we look at the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that God gave Peter a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom in that moment to be able to deal with the situation. Because remember, when Peter was speaking there, he said, you have lied not to men, but to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. How would Peter have known that they had lied? Because they were lying, they were pretending. Uh, you know, we, how do you know? Sometimes you don't know, right? All of us can probably raise our hands and say, I've been lied to before and didn't know it. But the Spirit gave Peter this word of wisdom, word of knowledge around what was happening there with Ananias and Sapphira. Here in Acts chapter 6, as these disciples, these deacons have been appointed, the Lord gave the apostles a word of wisdom to know how to handle the situation. Then he said, choose from among yourselves these people who are full of wisdom. Now as um, Stephen is ministering here, it says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. God, the Holy Spirit, was giving Stephen the gift of wisdom or a word of wisdom to be able to deal with these people. So you see, God wants to work in our lives. He wants to use us. 
So verse 11, they had to turn to other means since they couldn't resist spiritually or with the wisdom that Stephen had spoken. They induced men secretly to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they're making up things. And they stirred up the people, verse 12, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. So they, they couldn't reason with Stephen. They, they, just could, they weren't on his level. And it wasn't his level, it was God's level. Because God was giving the wisdom, God was giving the words. And so they brought him into the council. Now this was the council, the Sanhedrin, this was the same council that the disciples had already, the apostles had already been brought before. This was the same council that Jesus was brought through when he was put on trial. And it says in verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law. So they have trumped up charges, falsified charges that they've raised up against Stephen. They needed to control the narrative, and they did so by resorting to lying and defrauding. So they accused him of these things. Here's what Jesus had taught. Here's what the apostles were teaching. Here's what Stephen was teaching, that Jesus was greater than Moses. They heard that as blasphemous. No one could be greater than Moses as far as the law was concerned. Jesus was God. They heard that as blasphemy because there was only one God, and it certainly wasn't this man, Jesus. Jesus was greater than the temple, blasphemous words against this holy place. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, in their minds, blasphemous words against the law. Jesus was greater than their religious customs and traditions, And they heard that as Jesus will destroy this place and change customs. So they had misinformation. And like so many people, or like if you watch the news, you know this is true. Someone hears a snippet or a bit, they take it out of context and twist it. And they did that with with Jesus. They're doing it with the apostles. And now they're doing it with Stephen to put him on trial. For we have heard him say, verse 14, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So they misquoted what Jesus said. They misunderstood what Jesus said. Jesus certainly spoke things that they were challenged by. You remember in Matthew 9, Jesus said, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. And the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. They couldn't handle that. They couldn't handle that Jesus was bringing the fulfillment of the law. Jesus was the Messiah. He was coming as the embodiment of God himself to the people. They couldn't deal with that. Paul also spoke of this in a similar way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where he said this, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is what Jesus was teaching, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, aka the Ten Commandments, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses. Remember, he came down from the mountain and his face shone with the glory of God, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So Jesus saying, ministering these things, Paul ministering these things, now Stephen ministering these things. Verse 15, and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Most of us, you're sitting before a tribunal, they're angry, they're coming after you, they have trumped up charges. The most natural thing in the world is to want to defend yourself, isn't it? 
to say, now wait a minute, that's not true, prove it. I never said that. And you, you start to get into this bickering situation and you're going to lose. And you get flustered and then you get angry and then you lose your temper. Instead, Stephen is sitting here and he's at, at complete peace. His face was seen by them as the face of an angel. I mean, being full of the Spirit means being at peace in difficult situations. It's having the peace of God. It's having peace with God. And it's knowing that God is bigger than all of this and God can defend me. The Lord is the righteous judge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Now we know, <clears throat> as this, this trial continues, that what happens is it sort of gets out of hand and ultimately we'll find out Stephen gets put to death. So you say, now wait a minute, where was God in all of that? It was God's desire that this man Stephen, in the divine sovereignty of God, submit to these things, that he be a witness, that he be a martyr for the name of Jesus. So as we venture just briefly here into chapter 7, then the high priest said, looking at Stephen, he said, are these things so? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. And so he begins to explain, going all the way back to Abraham, going back to Moses, he's going to explain these things to them. He says, brethren and fathers, listen, the glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. So here's the point he's making. Abraham was a Gentile. There were no Jews. God spoke to him before there was a Jerusalem, before there was a law, long before there was Moses. God spoke to Abraham and he called him and he said, get out of your country from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So Abraham, who we regard to be the father of the faith, God called him and spoke to him before there was a Jew. There was no Jew. Jews didn't exist. God spoke to a Gentile, and out of the Gentiles came the Jews. Now this, just the hair on the back of their neck was standing up. They had to be infuriated. They, were, they didn't want to, you know, to them, Gentiles were just unholy dogs. And he's saying, no, no, God called a Gentile. And out of a Gentile, he brought the Jewish nation and verse 5, and God gave him no inheritance in it, not even to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he, that is God, promised to give it to him, Abraham, for a possession and to his descendants. So God brought Abraham to the land, but he didn't yet give it to him. All he gave him was a promise that one day, Abraham, through your descendants, these things will come. Verse 6, but God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years, referring to the time in Egypt. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, says God, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him, that is God gave him, Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. So he's kind of going back to the beginning, explaining how it all happened. Remember, they, they were so like, just dialed in on circumcision. Ah, if you're not circumcised. Well, here he's saying, remember, God gave him circumcision. This was before anything, there still were no Jews. God gave him the covenant of, of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, first time it happened. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So now he, he launches in in verse 9 telling them the story, and he has a purpose, he has a point, and we'll get to more of this next week as we get into the life of Stephen even deeper. But you see, Stephen, in this moment, is being given this divine sermon. I mean, we think Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost was amazing, and it was. But the sermon that God is giving to Stephen, man, this is amazing. This, this is good stuff. This is deep stuff. He's going right to the very heart of, of the Jewish faith and retelling the story from the beginning of time 
The dot on the left of the timeline at the beginning of the Jewish faith was Abraham. And so he starts bringing that into play. Now he brings in sort of the history of the patriarchs in Egypt. Verse 9, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. So, guys, we don't exactly have a great history here. We uh, you know, sold one of the, the founding fathers of the Jewish faith, Joseph, into Egypt. But God was with him. And God delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was a grain in e- that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham brought, or excuse me, bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So we have to pause here for the sake of time because this sermon is quite long. But the point here is this, that the Spirit of God who took this man, Stephen, and empowered him with wisdom to be able to serve tables and to deal with a problem among serving the widows, God now takes this man with the fullness of the Spirit and with the wisdom and he moves him on to something even greater. I'm sure that just as that day when Peter and John were walking into the temple about the hour of prayer, they wanted to get in and get out, but God put in front of them a ministry opportunity that turned their lives sideways. So Stephen, being led by the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit, now is led into an avenue, a, a venue of ministry that he never hoped to have. He just wanted to mind his own business and serve God. But look at the opportunity God has given to him. And of course, ultimately, he will give his life for the faith. In my studies, I heard this story. It's a true story. It happened not too many years ago. Um, This was a a believing, a Christian Navy SEAL. Uh, It was serving, uh, of course, as a SEAL and was... uh, in Afghanistan, and was uh, had been called in for a certain task, and as he was there, he um, heard of and saw the effect of this family, this Christian family, who was being uh, persecuted by the Taliban because they were being viewed as infidels. And as he called this family in, uh, the mother and the father, and then the children, there was an eleven-year-old boy. And he called the 11 year old, the, the Taliban called the 11 year old boy out, out front, in front of the family. And this family, they, they were believers, they believed in Christ. And he was making an example of the son in front of the parents. And he said to the 11 year old boy, now keep in mind, this is an 11 year old boy. He said, You renounce the name of Jesus Christ or we will cut your head off. And this 11 year old boy looked them in the eye. This is reported by a Navy SEAL. And said, I will not deny my Lord. And they cut off his head right there. I I share that story because it convicts me. Of how quickly I shrink back. Believing God might want me to say something in a given moment, in a given situation. And what am I going to get? My head is not going to get cut off for saying I believe in Jesus. I might get laughed at. I might get ridiculed. Somebody might cuss me out with foul language. But I'm going to walk out of that situation, at least here in the United States, usually unscathed. But you see, being full of the Spirit means being ready to give an account of the hope that's within you. Being full of the Spirit means being ready to be His witness at any time and in any place. You see, one of the reasons we wanted to come to the book of Acts was because of things like this. Because we need to be stirred up. We need to be reminded 
that our faith is not fire insurance. Our faith is real. God has saved us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God has his people everywhere. And if all of us as his people and all the churches, if we were all filled with God's Holy Spirit, a revival would be happening. Awakening would be taking place. I titled this message simply, Serving God. Because look what God did with these servants. In chapter 8, it's going to be so amazing we're going to get into the life of Philip and what God did in his life. You see, God wants to use people. He wants to use you. You see, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, there is no one insignificant. You know, you may have been told things all your life. You may have been diminished and told you were dumb or stupid or you can't do this, you can't do that. And we're all hung up in what we can and we can't do. Not God. God calls us out into the light. God saved us. God redeemed us. God has filled us. He's made us his sons or his daughters. And he can and he will and he wants to work and to move in my life and in your life. You see, what we're reading here about the apostles, what we're reading here about Stephen and Philip and later Paul and everybody else, you see, that could be us. When we get to the end of the book of Acts, I'm just going to go ahead and do a spoiler alert here, so plug your ears if you don't want to hear this. We're going to come to chapter 28, you know, sort of the end of the history of the book of Acts, covers about 30 years or so, 32 to 80, 62, something like that. But you see, the way the book ends, it's that you and I are living today in what we would call Acts 29, the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, the continuing life of the church. You see, it doesn't end with the end at the end of the book of Acts. Today, it's about the work God is continuing to do. That's why we need to go back and look at the origins of our faith and to see what God wants to do. So just as these people were called to serve God in the very low and humble and menial way, don't think that that means because you take the trash out that God isn't going to use your life. God may use your life by taking the trash out because when you go out to the dumpster, there's someone out there who needs to hear the gospel. I mean, we can't begin to fathom or to imagine what God wants to do. All we need to do is to be available. All we need to do is to be servants of God. So our question today is, are you willing to serve God? Lord, thank you that you don't call the qualified, but you qualify the called. Thank you, Lord, that you want to work in our lives. Thank you that just as you called these first servants, so you are calling us even today. And Lord, the the tasks and the means are just that. You care about the spiritual things. You care about the gospel. You care about lives. And Lord, may we just look to you and allow you to work in and through our lives and use us as your servants to minister your word, to be your hands and feet, to give a cup of cold water in your name. And just see you do things that are exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Lord, would you do this in and through us. Lord, for for those listening today who may not know you, Lord, we call upon you and say, would you minister to them right now? I pray that they would just uh, bow their knee, bow their heart to you. Pray, seek your face. Lord, turn from their sin and and come to the cross of Jesus and be redeemed and receive that forgiveness and believe. And if that's you this morning, then simply just reach out to God and just ask him to redeem you at this moment and to make you his son or his daughter and he will do that. And you will be forgiven and set free. And Lord, help us to be people of good reputation, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, full of wisdom. May you have your way in us and may we be available to you. 
no longer closing off ourselves to all the things that you might want to do, but just being open and just follow you on this great adventure called life, called faith, and let you do what you want to do. Because when the church becomes the church, and when you do what you're wanting to do, then things are going to happen. Things that man cannot explain or control. And that's what we want, God. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.